For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. But what happens when we live God's way? God brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. In Paul's letter to the Galatian church, just a few verses before that passage that we heard, he tells his readers, you were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? Other translations say something like, who hindered you or who cut in on you? In his letters, Paul often uses athletic metaphors to explore the meaning of being Christian. In the ancient Near East where he lived and worked, uh, sports were popular and his readers would have been familiar with the kinds of competitions to which he compares the Christian life. I've always found those comparisons to be useful and wise because if you've ever been an athlete at any level, you know that if you ease up instead of aiming higher and trying harder, ultimately you won't perform as well. That could also apply to other things like music. If you're really trying to develop your skills and be as good as you can, then just repeatedly playing a few simple chords or scales won't really do the trick. You have to go sometimes for what really challenges you. And I think one of the keys to maturing and growing for every Christian and really every person of any faith is an open-hearted, honest exploration of the difference between simple and easy. Sometimes we use those words interchangeably, but maybe we shouldn't because they aren't the same. Let's follow Paul for a minute and use an example from sports. Let's say breaking the world record in the marathon. Right? That's 26.2 miles. Sounds pretty simple, right? I mean, you just put on your shoes and you go. But if it was, everybody would be able to do it. If you're a man, your record is two hours and one minute. That means you have to average four minutes and 38 seconds a mile for 26.2 miles. <clears throat> if you're a woman, your record is 214. You have to average five minutes and five seconds a mile for 26.2 miles. Either way, you're running at a scorching pace that very few humans can. Simple and straightforward, but not easy, because if it was, there would be new records all the time. So adults in the congregation have breaking news. I'm pretty sure that neither you nor I will break the world record in the marathon. Now, maybe you will, and there's something I don't know, but maybe there's a child in the congregation who one day will, but you and I, I, I feel pretty confident that it's not going to happen. But does that mean that we don't run our own race? Of course not. But sometimes <clears throat> things get in our way. And that was happening in the, in the Galatian churches when Paul wrote his letter to them. If you read this letter, you'll see that he's not particularly happy with what he's heard. And at times he actually gets a little insulting toward the recipients of the letter. 
<clears throat> at the root of it is a dispute between Christians. Some people are disagreeing vehemently about what it means to be a Christian. Does that sound familiar to us nearly 2,000 years later? When Paul wrote this letter, <clears throat> the, the, the split between the church and the synagogue had not fully happened. There were many people who were following Christ and who were of Jewish background, including Paul himself. But he was a teacher to many people who were not. <clears throat> Some of them simply saw the Christian way as the natural development of Judaism, a new way of being Jewish. They were following Christ, but they also believed that they needed to adhere to the hundreds of laws in the Old Testament, and there are over 600 of them, I think. <clears throat> Some of them were insisting on that with the members of the Galatian church, particularly regarding the practice of circumcision. Paul finds out, and he's upset because he says, following Christ's commandment to love God and neighbor is enough. But he and his opponents had different views of what that meant. The people who emphasized sticking with all those old laws while being a Christian, <clears throat> as obscure as some of them may seem to us now, they said those laws were in place to provide a framework or a template to keep what they thought were people's sinful impulses in check, to, to avoid living in some kind of moral anarchy, to stay away from how we as humans might tend to live and move instead into how we should, to make sure that those, they weren't caught up in some of the things that Paul mentions in his letter. Uh, <clears throat> creating false gods, um, chronic anger, constant quarreling and contentiousness, abusive behavior towards others and oneself, the things that compromise the wholeness of the community. And they worried that if Christians didn't follow those laws, then that's what would result. So that law included, among other things, the practice of circumcision. So Paul has to come up with a counter-argument explaining why following Christ is enough because he's concerned that people are taking what's simple and making it complex. <clears throat> he says that we're given freedom not from responsibility, but freedom for responsibility. It's not unlike the way our denomination is structured. We don't have a large governing body telling colonial church what to do but we're in covenant relationships with each other and we do these things because we feel we have a call to do it. And some of the members of the church in Galatia seem to have believed that freedom from the old laws meant that as long as they were following Christ, they could do literally whatever else they wanted. But the outlook of me, myself, and I is strongly at odds with the very heart of the gospel and the way of Jesus. And Paul reminds us, and so many Christians have over the centuries, <clears throat> that we don't earn God's favor with good works, but we do those works and we practice love of neighbor because it's an expression of our faith and the spirit guides us to do that. And that's, he says that's sufficient law for us if only we attend to it, if only we open ourselves to it. The idea is that God doesn't force things on us, but when we love our neighbor as ourselves, it, it's our response to the love God has given us. And if God loved us enough to take on our very humanity through Christ, then it must be that God sees such value in us as to desire our love in return. And one way we can do that is through love of neighbor. Back we go to something that is simple, but not always easy. <clears throat> we often think of love as an emotion, right? Or an, uh, the result of an emotion. We think of that word, we, <clears throat> we think of a word of uh, a feeling of affection, a feeling of 
closeness, and we do have that toward our spouses or partners, children, family members, friends, God. But for the Apostle Paul and, and, and for Jesus himself, love is not just a passive term. It's more of an active one. In the biblical sense, love often refers to actions and dispositions and not just feelings. In fact, in this same chapter of the letter to the Galatians, Paul says the only thing that matters is faith working through love. Loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Pretty simple, really. And when it comes to people we like, it's usually even easy. But it's still simple when it comes to those that we have real difficulties with, but not just, not necessarily easy. That takes a bit more strength when we have to reach down deeper, and it's hard. A former world record holder in the marathon, Rob DiCostello, once said that the marathon's about being in contention over the last 10K. That's when it's about what you have in your core. You have run all the strength and all the superficial fitness out of yourself, and it really comes down then to what's inside you. To be able to draw deep and pull something out of yourself is one of the most tremendous things about the marathon. And the Apostle Paul believed it was the Spirit of God alone who can help us dig deeper and pull something out that will truly help us to love our neighbors, even the ones we don't necessarily like. It doesn't mean having a warm feeling of affection towards people who upset or mistreat us or who harm others. It certainly doesn't mean neglecting to call others to accountability for their destructive actions. But the fruit of the Spirit, as he calls it, are things like patience, kindness, forgiveness, generosity, self-control, joy, humility, and peace. Those are among the things that build community. And Jesus, as Paul reminds us, came to teach us what community with God and others really means. So how do we dig deeper when it comes to cultivating love of neighbor when our neighbors are more difficult to love? Or even when those to whom we do feel close are doing or saying things that create a sense of separation or alienation. How do we make that leap? We train every day as a runner trains. But our training is the practices of faith, prayer and reflection, fellowship, scripture reading, worship, working to put love in action. Simple, but not always easy. But faith is like a muscle or like cardiovascular conditioning. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. God helps us to do that work, and it's important to remember why we do it. Some of you may be familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a a German pastor who was killed by the Nazis during World War II for for resisting their, their ideology. He said, through fellowship and communion with the incarnate Lord, we recover our true humanity, and at the same time we are delivered from that individualism that is the consequence of sin. And we retrieve our solidarity with the whole human race. By being partakers of Christ incarnate, we partake also in the whole humanity that he bore. So what if, and maybe I'm just fantasizing here, everyone in the world truly saw himself or herself as truly connected to everyone else and to all of God's creation? What affects one? affects the others. It's a simple idea. I'd say a simple fact, but is it easy for all human beings to come to that awareness? If it was, things would truly be closer on earth to what they are in heaven 
something that we pray each week when we say the Lord's Prayer. That sense of separateness that people live for themselves alone and are only responsible for the same, paradoxically, it's not a source of freedom. It's a source of entrapment. So we can circle back around to the paraphrase of our scripture today where it says that when we truly live God's way, as Christ taught, we come to a conviction that a basic holiness permeates, per, permeates things and people. Jesus believed it. He lived for it. He died for it. And when he rose again, he showed how true it actually was. And knowing that, <clears throat> we see that in him, we are set free, not from responsibility, but for it. So maybe the guiding question of the Christian life could be, what will our response be? A simple question? Certainly. With an easy answer? Not always. And even though the Christian life is not a competition, is it a race worth running? Absolutely. It's one that we run together, helping each other on that path. And the best part is that God goes with us to lead the way. Amen. And our special music today is God of the Movements and Martyrs. <clears throat>